The Berkshire weekend has come and gone, and the gang is back together. You're in the right place, folks, because this is where the money is. All right, loyal Where the Money Is listeners, if you're still listening today, we're back. I'm Matt Kopenheffer, right here next to me in the radio studio. This is like, a, this is real radio studio. We're for real now. David Hansen. David, how you feeling? I'm good. Is anybody out there? Is anybody left? Are there crickets listening? I, speaking of, I, I just, I want to thank all of the loyal Where the Money Is uh, listeners for, uh, for saying hi at the Berkshire weekend, at the Markel brunch. It is so awesome to meet all the people who enjoyed this show. Um, as those listeners know, I had to move off to Berlin, Germany. David is doing things that are so much more important than anything else that I'm doing. So unfortunately, we marginally have to, more potentially. But potentially we have not. we have the we have the entire force of fool.com and and all of the great uh, bureaus behind the new show Industry Focus now. Um, but we have a great show today. David. Yes. We do. Do we? We are at, we are in Omaha, so we are ready to, to debrief on everything. We were there along with, was it 10 other fools? There were 11 of us in total. Three from Australia, one from Singapore, one from California, one from Berlin, Germany. One from Berlin. And then uh, the rest from, from HQ here. So we've got a lot to go over. What do you want to start with? Let's start with overall impressions of the Berkshire weekend. This is, I mean, it's, it's such a huge thing. Every year it's such a huge thing. Tens of thousands of investors coming to Omaha, Nebraska mm-hmm. for this event. But this year it was even more so because this year was the 50th anniversary. May 10th, 1965, that was the date. That's the date attributed to the day that Warren Buffett took control of Berkshire Hathaway. Did they, do they have the meeting this weekend because of that date? I just made that connection. Or is it just random? Do they always do it in May because of that's kind of like his anniversary of taking over? Or do you have any idea? Or just this nice is, weather in Omaha? It's like the one week in Omaha where there's nice weather. Well, this is sort of um, annual meeting season for a lot of companies. Uh-huh. I'm, I don't know if they planned it that way, but it's this time every year, around this time every year. Exactly. So they biggest sh- takeaway? Biggest takeaway so far? Um, it was my second time there, so it was less intimidating, even though there were 40,000 people there. Once you're there once, you can kind of – you get the lay of the land. Your first time there, it's insane. You've never seen anything like it really. Um, my biggest takeaway was just that Buffett's now, what, 84? Lifetime of investing 50 years at Berkshire. Um, he does not seem jaded at all. He seems more energetic and – He's a spry 84. It's crazy. It's incredible. And given his diet – Not good. His diet's not good. And yet he is sharp. He moves around. He looks fluid. I, I, I think the guy during the Berkshire movie, they they had a little segment about a, a, a fight, mm-hmm. a prize fight between him and Floyd Mayweather. I think he could get in there. It's impressive. Maybe and not for twelve rounds. I, I think what's keeping 11, him, I think what's keeping him so young is his whole life is dedicated to building this company now and. Sometimes it'll come up be like, well, does Warren Buffett care about his legacy as a person? They did an episode on Industry Focus a couple weeks ago where John Maxfield basically argued, in 100 years, eh, I I don't know if we're going to really remember Buffett as this kind of generational guru genius uh, that we kind of view him as now. And he said he won't be in the the light that we view a Rockefeller now. Um, But I think it's his company that's going to be viewed 
as this kind of this enduring generational achievement. And that's what Buffett cares about more than his name um, being plastered on as the greatest businessman of all time uh, or anything like that. I think someone asked him the question, what do you care most about? And it wasn't, I mean, for maybe it's not the right answer. It wasn't his family. He didn't say his family. He said he cares most, most about building Berkshire into just a great company. And we talk about, oh, we, they've moved from away from stock investing into regulated businesses, and that's kind of uh, the way they're going to move forward. But I think a lot of it is just him setting up this company to do very well without him there. It's it's really incredible to step so back and think about it. So are you digressing, or is that your biggest takeaway? That's my biggest end? takeaway, that he just he has really built this thing to – everyone says it, but it's, it's going to thrive after he's gone. Okay, folks. David and I do not prepare our notes together, mostly because I'm afraid that he's going to take my good points and pretend that they're his. But my, my overall takeaway here that I wrote down is that Berkshire is built to last. That was my major takeaway of the weekend. And I think, like you mentioned, a big part of that is the shift towards those regulated businesses, the buying of these big, full companies that can take a lot of investment over time. Part of that, too, is the the hiring, the, te- the Ted and Todd, adding Ted and Todd in there, creating the partnerships. This partnership with 3G Capital is pretty major, and based on his comments, it, we're only going to see more, if anything, uh, between Berkshire and 3G. Mm-hmm. So I, I think Buffett really is setting this up to be a company that is is a leading company, is a one of the major companies of the world, the largest companies of the world for decades to come and well well beyond his time. I agree. It's the Berkshire weekend, and it was the Berkshire 50th anniversary weekend, but it was actually also an anniversary for another company this weekend, and that was Markel. Markel mm-hmm. holds a Markel is a small specialty insurer that's sort of modeled. It's it's got a bit of the Berkshire model, and that's why they hold their brunch uh, this weekend. Let's well, call Omaha. it a semi-small specialty insurer, small we'll compared it. to Berkshire. But I think it's now what a ten billion dollar company, so it's not the Compared to, other spe- the yeah, compared to other specialty insurers, it's it's a pretty good size. Mm-hmm. So Markel holds this brunch every year. Tom Gaynor, of course, the the investor there from from a company of investors here at the Fool. He's a guy that uh, that I think we look really highly on. He's got a very good process, very good results, very good track record, and I, I think he's got a really foolish view on mm-hmm. how he approaches investing. So unfortunately, who's your airline, by the way? Delta. Delta. Yeah, I think so. So here's here's what I was what I, what I was thinking, uh, fools. Just uh, in case you don't know, Sunday morning of the Berkshire weekend, there is a race. Berkshire owns Brooks, the running shoe company, so they hold a 5K race Sunday morning. Last year, David Hansen ran in that race. I did. This year, Delta changed. I, I, I'm putting up air quotes. You can't see it because we're just audio here. I'm putting up air quotes. Delta changed his flight. I think you changed which, it because you were afraid I was preve- going to beat you. Which prevented race. him from running in the 5K race. I, I think you just were looking for an excuse to not run in that 5K race. Oh, you, I, got, I you well. had no answer. I did. I, I did well last year. There's no no reason to. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, yeah. Well, not mm-hmm. as well as you, but so yeah. So I missed the race, and also Markel's in the morning, so I, I missed that as well. Even thanks, worse, you missed Markel. Thanks to Delta. Thanks, Delta. So I, I've got a couple. I've got a couple takeaways here from the the Markel brunch. I I love the Markel brunch. I, I think those guys have a lot of great things to say. Both of you are interested in Markel in particular, and I think foolish investors should be because I think it's a great, well-run company, mm-hmm. but also if you're interested in investing more more generally. So I'll run through these real quick. Um, off the top, uh, Tom Gaynor talked a little bit about his diversification strategy within the equity portfolio at Markel. Uh, 
one of the audience members, one of the shareholders said, hey, you've got 100 stocks. You've got a lot of stocks in the portfolio here. And we hear Charlie Munger um, and Buffett talk about the importance of kind of focusing on your best ideas, running a more concentrated portfolio. And what Gaynor responded was that he said, there are about 20 positions that make up roughly 70% of the value for Mm -hmm. Markel within that equity portfolio. And then he's got all these other positions, and he thinks about the entirety of the portfolio sort of like the Major League Baseball. So you've got the Major Leagues, and then you've got the farm teams, Mm -hmm. uh, AA, AAA, and single A. I almost and forgot rookie that. league and, ro- and of course rookie league. Is that are you making that up? No, that's the thing. I think is it really? Mm-hmm. So so much I know. And I've been the, in Germany. And then the too independent long. league is like his watch list. It's like over there. Probably. <laughs> Not to hurt, hurt any independent league fans. There you go. I we're gonna get some. We're gonna email David Hansen at what's your email these days? No m m Copenheffer <laughs> at fool dot com <laughs> at fool de. So he's got all of these other positions that are essentially his minor league positions. And as he gets to know them, as he gets more interested in them, thinks that they are worthy of being in his major league portfolio, he will promote those up into there. So that was my, that was my first takeaway uh, on there. So this, I'm going I'm to just quote Tom Gaynor directly here on this one, who in turn was quoting Alan Kirshner, um, who is the, the CEO or is he mm-hmm. the chairman? He's, he's the, the, CEO. C- the CEO of Markel. And... Uh, he quoted Kirshner saying, it's okay to make mistakes. Just don't make the same dumbass mistake again. And what he was responding to is, is somebody asked the question of what are you most concerned about at Markel? What are you most uh, afraid of happening? And one of the answers, the, there are a few different answers given from the Markel team, but one of the answers from uh, Tom Gaynor is that Markel has been around so long and has such a history that they've made a lot of mistakes already. The key is learning from those mistakes and not making the same mistakes over and over again. And I think as investors, that's an important lesson mm-hmm. for us. It's okay to make mistakes. And, and I think we should accept that we're going to make them. The key for us is recognizing those mistakes, not trying to say, oh, it's bad I made a mistake and brush it under the rug. Keep it out there in the light. Learn mm-hmm. from it and don't make the same mistake again. Sounds like a Munger quote. What did he say? There was a Munger quote during the meeting that basically said it's – Kind of like it's obnoxious to say to stay stupider than longer than you have to, or something like that. So, basically, just saying like learn from your mistakes and don't don't be an idiot. Don't don't be an idiot. Kind of captures the entirety of what Charlie Munger has to say during the meeting. It's true, yeah, and it, it's it's a lot better to read the Munger quotes because while he's saying it, he kind of just says crotchety old man. Um, it's better to actually find a transcript of the event if you if you can. Which we we are we are going to have one for our, we are preparing for, that for our pool. premium members. So if you're a member of Stock Advisor or Rule Breakers or any of the other services, be on the lookout for a transcript coming soon. Full transcript. I, I think that's so. I think that's so cool that we're able to do that because it's great to be out there, but um, but to have a, a transcript of the full event. Let me let me ask you one final question on on Markel just to finish up. So twenty twenty fifth anniversary of Markel being there. I think that's what you said, right? It's twenty fifth twenty fifth anniversary for Markel. Okay. Um, I think Gaynor always says the first year, the first couple of years they did it, there were two tables of people. It was packed. It was ten, yeah, this year packed. packed. What five hundred people probably in there? I'm not good at doing. I'm not good at doing that game. Like the Lots whole jelly people. bean thing. I, I never. <laughs> so I never. Won the I saw. Bean. I saw a picture of the event. And it, it's it's crazy packed. So is it is it safe to say that Markel's not this kind of unknown little stock that only value investors kind of pay attention to and watch? Like, 
I, I, three years ago, if you if you said Markel to someone even in investing, they may say, "What are you What are you talking about? I've never heard of Markel." The valuations moved up in the past couple of years. It's a ten billion dollar company now. Like, is is Markel not the home run kind of investment that that you loved a couple of years ago? Now, because everyone kind of knows about it, it's not that unloved, unknown stock. I don't think so. Particularly if the t- if the Markel team has its way, mm-hmm. this is not this is not a ten billion dollar company or, or whatever it is. I haven't checked the market cap. This is not a company that's where it is today that is comfortable being where it is today. They're happy with the successes that they have, but the goal is to make to to, to make Markel as one of the premier companies, one of the most respected companies in America and possibly the world. Before we move on, I have to I have to just put out there that I did ask a question at the Markel mm-hmm. meeting about Germany, of course. Uh, I'll say briefly that the response was that they like the German market. Markel is already in the German market, writing primary insurance there. They did some small acquisitions. Basically, they said that um, they really like being in that market. And the question is just having the right knowledge of the the, the cultural knowledge and the, the knowledge of the, the country mm-hmm. to be able to expand smartly. Um, and they're also looking for ways to do that with Markel Ventures, too. I had also asked about public company investments there, mm-hmm. and Tom did not say anything about that. So I don't know if he just playing coy was ignoring it, or, he, or or he's sort of like, yeah, I've got all those on my radar. So moving on, let, let's close out here. Uh, favorite quotes from the Berkshire meeting. There's always a laundry list of them. What was one of your two favorite quotes from the Berkshire meeting? I'm not gonna have the exact quote. Okay, can I can I paraphrase? Mailing, the transcript's mailing very, it in. The transcript's very mailing long. It. How long is it? How long has it been since we've done this show? And now uh, you're just mailing it in. Oh, okay. Well, we were talking a little bit before, and one of the things that's always cited is that Buffett doesn't look at stock quotes every day. He says it's a terrible idea. Um, something we recommend as well. It's stupid to log into your brokerage account stock every day. Prices, you mean? Not stock quotes prices. about stocks. Yeah, you know what I meant. Um, <laughs> So I, I think there's Buffett paints himself as this guy who just only thinks about the Uber long term and never looks at anything short term. But something that came up is that he looks at business numbers very fr- frequently, whether it be daily, weekly, every month from the businesses at, at Berkshire. So the railroad, the energy business, Geico, he's looking at the business performance. But he said his caveat was that he does not let the short term numbers guide his long term decision making in the moment keeps so, it in perspective right so he's taking into the into account all the information but just not acting on it in that moment um which i think is really interesting he's a big fan of choo-choo trains like historically like so, so i i don't know I'm, I'm sure that has something to do with it he probably just and he talks about loving what he does mm-hmm. so i i mean it's, it's not crazy to say that maybe part of the reason that he bought a train company to read numbers every day well possible he, he he loves the business he understands the business from from being a lifelong fan of the you know what i'm saying what about you what do you got all right so buffett said i'm going back to germany here i'll make a prediction mm-hmm. this is not me talking this is buffett talking i'll make a prediction i predict that we will buy another german company within the next five years buffett and munger both had very very complimentary things to say about germany about the german market what they're talking about, I think what they're most likely talking about in that quote, but what Buffett's talking about, is that they will probably buy another private company, mm-hmm. mid-sized private company. It'll probably be larger than Louis. So they, uh, for those that don't know, Berkshire just completed the acquisition of um, Detlev Louis Motorrad, which is a motorcycle gear company in Germany. Relatively small investment, but it led Buffett to say, 
I think we've cracked the code in Germany, mm-hmm. and it sounds like they're ready to do some more buying. Second quote, David, stop looking at your cell phone. I'm trying to find the exact you're quote since you're, since you're giving me a hard time. Um, another thing that, that stuck with me a little bit was they got some questions about China. Some were very wonky and talking about like infrastructure or whatever. And they flat out said, like, I don't, we don't know anything about that. You Sorry. could answer those questions, but Warren Buffett. I, I could not. But then someone else just asked kind of, what do you think about the structural changes going on at China and what's your pulse of um, – do, do you have a feel for the pulse of the economy over in China? And they were both very bullish about the long-term prospects in China and what they've been able to achieve over the last 40 years. Uh, they cited – if you go back 300 years ago, China was multiples bigger than the United States and – in that time, the United States has just run past China in every single way. Um, but then in the last 40 years, what China has been able to accomplish and the structural changes of trying to eliminate corrupt, as much corruption and build the economy in a more structured way um, has set the Chinese economy up for very long-term success. So I just thought it was interesting. There's always a lot of thought, oh, the China and the ghost cities, and when's it going to collapse, mm-hmm. the real estate? And these guys have historically have a very good way of putting things in perspective and thinking about the long term. What was it that Charlie said? He's, I think he said the U.S. and China will be the leading economies for as far as the eye can see. Right. So good to get their perspective on something, even though when there's a lot of doom and gloom over what the second biggest economy in the world. My second one, this is a little bit of Buffett and a little bit of Charlie. Buffett said of investing, he said, it's an easy game if you can control your emotions. I'll come back to that in a moment. Uh, In a moment, Charlie followed up with, uh, value investing won't go out of style. What the hell do you want if you don't want value? So uh, I'll take a little bit from both of them. First of all, Buffett's quote, it's an easy game if you can control your emotions. That's sort of like saying basketball is an easy game if you're seven foot three and built like LeBron James. Controlling your emotions is a big part of it. Mm -hmm. The math involved in investing isn't all that hard. You can learn the business analysis stuff. I I think the emotional part of it is one of the most difficult things to get down. Although I think it helps when you have somebody like Buffett saying something like that, because unless you know that the emotions come into it, you don't know that that's something that you have Mm -hmm. to, that you have to at least observe and watch. As far as Charlie's part of it, I think this gets to one of my favorite concepts in investing as far as what what do the different style boxes really mean? And people think about value investing and they think of something very specific. They think of somebody with a calculator and a spreadsheet and you know going through reams of numbers. At the end of the day, I, I think value investing should mean getting value, getting more value than what you pay mm-hmm. for. And that may mean taking the calculator and spreadsheet approach that people traditionally attribute to value investing, but it can mean a lot of different things. Um, It it can look like a lot of different things. And I think a lot of things that people would refer to as quote unquote growth investing is just as much value investing. Anything that you buy, any Mm -hmm. stock that you buy, you're going to want to buy it to where you're getting more value than what you're paying. It's probably a stupid term, right? It's the the whole style, but for a lot of reasons, the style box thing is pretty stupid because at the end of the day, you're trying to get value in some fashion. Good point. Good point to end. That is a good point to end. I appreciate that you recognize that. Fools, thanks for listening in. Again, I'm Matt Copenhaver. This is David Hansen right next to me. I encourage you to tune in on a daily basis to Industry Focus with mm-hmm. our colleagues at Fool.com. And, of course, Motley Fool Money and Market Foolery 
also options on the radio. David's like pointing at me. What, what do you want to say? I, I, I want anyone who's out there who's was a legacy listener to email us WTMI at fool.com and tell us what's been going on. What have you missed? What do you, what do you, what are you glad that you're not hearing Matt drone on about anymore? So you can send us an email WTMI at fool.com. I believe the inbox still works. I'll find out. For the record, we're, we're audio only, but I am wearing a bow tie. Yes. And if you speak German, wenn du Deutsch sprichst, be sure to check out fool.de, which is where I'm spending most of my time these days. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.